In just a little bit, we're going to take a look at Matthew's account of the Lord's Supper. But before we do, um, this is one of two ordinances that Christ gave his church. Throughout the history, many Baptists have observed uh, the Supper of the Lord four times a year. Now, there's a reason we do that. There's a reason we have made that decision. There was a fear that doing the Lord's Supper at every worship service might let it slip into an empty ritual. And so, we opted for a quarterly observance. But I need to warn you that the reality, having it four times a year is not a guarantee that there will not be those who have empty ritual, who just do it. Uh, Because, folks, we can do that a lot. A, A church had an unusual ritual every Sunday morning. Before the church would sing their opening song, the doxology, they would all stand up. Now, I'm going to do stage left because it would be your right. Everyone would stand and look at a blank wall on the right. They would sing the song, and then they would sit down and continue their worship. A newcomer was a little bit confused. They had never seen anything like that before. And so they asked, why do you do this? And pretty much everybody there, almost everybody said, because we've always done it this way. And, and he wasn't satisfied, and so he kept on asking until he finally got hold of the oldest member of the church who remembered back when all it started. He'd gone to the church longer than anyone else, And he remembered the reason. It seems that at one time they did not have hymnals. And the words of this song were painted on a large white wall. So everyone would turn and be able to see the words. And since they did it every Sunday, they wanted to be sure they got the words right. And then they would sit down. Well, over the years, the words faded and the wall was repainted numerous times And nobody knew why they were doing it. It's just we've always done it that way. Well, many years ago, following the lead of a very important professor and mentor of mine, I made a decision. I made a commitment while I was still a youngster in college that from that point on as a pastor, every time my congregation observed the Lord's Supper, we would do exactly what we'd been doing here, Bay Vista, for 13 full years, waiting on my 14th. We give the whole service over to the Lord's Supper. We're not just going to tack it on at the end. That's the way I grew up. I remember going to church, and it really didn't matter what the pastor was preaching on. At the end of it, we do the Lord's Supper. Now, before we actually get into our text, I do want to observe another reality that we face today. It is one that I am not exactly happy to share because it's a reality that can be painful. Life is filled both with sorrow and joy. And just because you call yourself a believer, just because you are a Christian, does not exempt you from the struggles of life. Unfortunately, sometimes we get that impression. And we tell people, come to Jesus 
and everything will be wonderful and laughter and joy. But most of us in this room are old enough to know we're not exempt. We lose people we love. Sometimes we lose our health. Sometimes we lose our way. Being a child of God does not exempt you from sorrow. But because we are children of the living God, we can experience great joy even in the face of struggle and pain. And the very first observance of what has come to be called the Lord's Supper was a clear picture of the sorrow and the joy that lies behind this ordinance. Because we have both. Sorrow and joy. So at this time I ask you to stand as I read from Matthew 26, 20-30. Hear the word of the Lord. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad. And began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, this ordinance of communion, during the last Passover of his life. And from that day, the ordinance of communion has been observed by Christians throughout this world. Sometimes they call it different names. Sometimes it comes once a week, others once a quarter, and sometimes once a year. But virtually every Christian group observes the Lord's Supper. And the ordinance of the communion, as I've already stated, is a time of both sadness and rejoicing. So we're going to take a look at the sadness first. The Lord's Supper causes sadness when we remember it came because of our sin. Folks, this ordinance would not have existed if the human race had not fallen into sin. If we ourselves had not sinned before the Lord. The reality is a holy God had to deal with sin. And in this particular Passover time, when you put all of the Gospels together, it seems that Jesus observed the Passover at least three times within his life. But at this time, 
this Passover was a particularly tough time for the disciples of Jesus. Probably the other observations were pretty much a Passover service. Jesus would act as the head of the household and lead in the service. But this one was different. Leading up to Passover, Jesus had really begun focusing on the reason why he had come. And unfortunately, the disciples weren't listening. When they were arguing about who's the most important in the kingdom, he said, look, being great in the kingdom is not about being served. I, the Son of Man, have come to give my life a ransom for many. I didn't come to be served, but to give my life a sacrifice. And he's been speaking about this sacrifice quite a bit. But the disciples didn't want to hear it. When Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And they started getting their answers. He then said, and who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are blessed, Peter. Men did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he said, and the Son of Man is going to give his life. And Peter shouted out, we won't let that happen. Now, talk about a big swing from blessed are you, man hasn't revealed this to you, but my father, when Peter says, we're not going to let it happen, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Wow! Peter was acting as a temptation to the Lord. And so they didn't want to hear it. They couldn't bring themselves to believe it. All of their lives they had grown up believing that Messiah was going to come and usher in the kingdom of God and Rome would be driven from God's people's land. And now he's saying the real reason I came was to die. They didn't want to hear it. Now it's already been sad. They've already started moving to that place of pain and sorrow. He's talking about dying. And then the sadness is increased. One of you here is going to betray me. One of you here is going to betray me. And the disciples start asking. And folks, this is a question. This isn't them saying, I would never do that. They're asking, surely... Not I, Lord. It's not me, is it, Christ, Lord? And he says, one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. Now, sometimes we picture Jesus and Judas dipping bread in the bowl at the same time. That's probably not what happened. He's using a tense that said, whoever's done has already dipped his hand in the bowl. And pretty much everybody there, they were not Western Americans who don't like that kind of thing. They're all dipping in the bowl. And then Judas asked almost the exact same question. But did you notice the difference? Surely not I. Does he call him Lord? No. Surely not I, Rabbi. Now this is probably significant. In the book of Matthew, 
Matthew only uses the word disciple for those who are firmly committed to Jesus or are coming to a commitment to Jesus. All the other people who address Jesus by some other name or title are either not disciples or they're his enemies. They're going to do him harm. And one of the titles that is used is rabbi. So this may be an indication that Judas has not really committed himself. Now I'm very glad that Angel read from the translation that she read from. Because I wanted to bring this out anyway. Surely not I, Rabbi. NIV translates it, yes, it is you. Now that's what his answer means. He is saying, yes, you're the one. But in the translation that Angel read from, and many other translations, you have a phrase, you have said so. Now that's a very literal translation of Jesus' answer to Judas. You have said so. It's kind of ambiguous. It's not as much in your face as, yeah, it's you. You have said so. But he also uses the same expression when the high chief is questioning him, and are you really the son of, you know. And he said, yeah, you said so. It's very likely that at that point, Judas left. Why would Jesus say, yes, you said so? Why not just to direct? Yes. Craig Blumberg has suggested, by saying this, Jesus is acknowledging to Judas, I know what you're going to do. And you have just indicted yourself. I know what you're going to do. you would have thought and would have hoped that Judas might have reached out for that lifeline. But he did not. We do know that he left sometime during the meal. How do we know that, Brother Danny? Because he had time to go get the enemies and gather up a crowd to meet them in Gethsemane. So he's disappeared. The other disciples haven't made the connection. Peter had a sword, probably would have killed him if he understood. And Judas went. I can't imagine what it would have to feel like to hear, one of you are going to betray me. So a solemn, joyful meal has turned into sadness because Jesus has just declared this cup is the cost of the new covenant. My blood. And it's just been heightened. One of you are going to betray me. And I do posit, folks, Peter was not the only one who betrayed the Lord that night. Excuse me. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed, but folks, they all did. Judas betrayed Jesus for money. 
And there's been a lot of speculation. Maybe he's trying to force Jesus' hand. He betrayed him so Jesus would have to show he's Messiah. But he took money for his betrayal. The others scattered into the night, running away, not because of money, but because of fear. As far as we know, only one disciple was standing at the point of crucifixion. The disciple whom Jesus loved in the book of John. John. And of course, Peter denied the Lord three times and heard the cock crow. And in the book of Luke, when the rooster crowed, Luke says that Jesus and Peter's eyes met. They had to have been crushed, broken, distraught. The sin of those who are closest to Jesus, the running the way, the betrayal, the denial, those who had lived and walked with Him, is a clear indication why the sacrifice had to be made. And each time we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of what cost its institution. We are reminded, folks, Jesus gave us this ordinance because we are guilty. The sacrifice of Jesus was the plan of Father all along. We know that because in the garden, after Adam and Eve have sinned and they've tried to hide from God, and God cries out, Adam, where are you? And Well, why did you hide? We were naked. Who told you? And they confess. And the Lord describes the consequences of those actions. And then he addresses the serpent. I'm going to give you one of those words that I give you every once in a while. You don't need to remember it. But in theology, it's called the Proto-Euangelion, which means the first gospel. In Genesis 3.15, the Lord says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's a very unusual phrase in Hebrew, the seed of the woman. Normally, it's the seed of the man. And theologians for centuries have believed that this was the first hint of what God was going to do to redeem the human race. See, the Lord Jesus atoned for our sins. Not just the worst sins of the worst dregs of society. I have commented before, we are really good at pointing out other people's sins, aren't we? In fact, we have become very proficient in it. Much like the Pharisees. And we are no more pharisaical than at that moment. But folks, he did this for the sin of us all. And when I remember this, I can't help but feel sadness. He died because of me. He died because of me.
There's an old spiritual that asks the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And it's haunting and it's beautiful. But in a very real way, folks, when we hear that question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? The answer is yes. I was there. My sin. My shame. My rebellion was there just as much as the Roman guards who drove the nails. As a crowd who cried and mocked Him. We are there. So the sadness, we need to understand what does this mean? Do, Do we just all get despondent? Do we just move into depression? Do we... Well, folks, I believe... The sadness calls an action in for us. Partaking of the supper, we should always take an honest look at our commitment to Christ and His church. I don't have to ask, surely not I, Lord. I would never do that. But I have sinned. And there have been times I have not been faithful to my Lord. And I know that. But asking the question, being willing to say, Lord, am I the one? We are reminded of Paul's admonition to the Corinthians. The Corinthians who would argue about everything, who were divided about virtually everything. In the 11th chapter, when Paul deals with the Lord's Supper, he says, you're not partaking of the supper because when you come together, some of you are getting drunk and some of you are getting gorged. And some of you are going away hungry. You're not discerning the body of Christ. You're not paying attention to what's happening. And so he said, let each man examine himself. Let everyone take a look and see, are you taking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? He's not saying you have to be perfect. Folks, if we had to be perfect to observe the Lord's Supper, I can say a benediction and we can all leave. Because none of us can. But the idea is, is my heart, is it my desire to follow the Lord? Yes, I stumble, I fall. But am I wanting to serve Him? Am I wanting to follow Him? Am I wanting to walk in unity and oneness with my brothers and sisters? The disciples We're fighting all of the time. And on more than one occasion, Jesus had to stop the argument, who's the most important? So when we come to this table, we look at ourselves and we admit, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why Jesus Christ had to die. We must also admit that sometimes our walk with each other is not what it should be. The body of Christ working together to move, to bring about God's purpose in our lives. And sometimes we allow it to become splintered. We allow it to become problematic. So, does the sorrow that comes from knowing that Jesus died for our sin, does it lead us to an act of repentance and deeper commitment. When I look and I realize I put him there, 
What is going to be my response? Not just as somebody first coming to the Lord, but my sin is responsible, even as a child of God, over and over again. We're told in the scripture, as followers of Christ, we are to confess our sin. So when I recognize that, am I willing to say, okay, Lord, I'm part of the problem. And I need you to cleanse me. And I need you to make me a usable vessel. Or, are we going to simply slip a piece of unleavened bread to our lips and drink a quick shot of grape juice and leave the same people we came in here as? Are we going to dismiss the reality that He died for us So that's the, that's the sad part. But the Lord's Supper causes rejoicing when we remember the sacrificial love behind it. Why do I love this ordinance? Because it reminds me of who I am and it reminds me that God loves me anyway and was willing to pay the price for me to know Him as Father. Folks, that's amazing. I once heard a preacher talking to a congregation during a video sermon and he said, you don't know all the sin in my life. If you know all the sin that I've done, you wouldn't be listening to me right now. And the congregation started laughing. And he said, don't get cocky. If I knew all the sin in your life, I wouldn't be talking to you. God knows us. Psalm 139, David says, you know everything there is about me. You know when I get up, you know when I lie down, you know my thoughts before I ever speak them, you know everything. But the emphasis is you love me. So, The elements of the supper declare God's gracious love to the disciples of Christ. He takes the Passover meal, which was a solemn, but it was a joyful experience because it reminded Israel of how God had led them out of Egypt, had passed over and gave them deliverance. But now, he takes this the elements of that meal and transforms them. And he specifically says... The word covenant. We've been looking at Abraham since the beginning of the year. And that word covenant is very important. We walk under what the scripture calls a new covenant. Entrance into the new covenant of God. And that covenant had a very high cost. Someone has said salvation is free, but it is not cheap. But the amazing thing is Jesus willingly accepted the cost of the covenant. He willingly embraced the sacrifice He was about to make. Yes, there was a moment of temptation in Gethsemane. If there's any other way, can you take this cup away from me? But immediately He says, but your will, not mine be done. 
He willingly trusted. He took upon himself, Paul says in the second chapter of Philippians, the form of a servant, willing to obey, willing to go to death, even the death of the cross. Why? He trusted his father. You know, I told you you're going to find out about the Hallel. Get ready. The Hallel chapters, uh, or Psalms 13, 113 through 118, is one book in the book of Psalms that the people of Israel use frequently, often in Passover. The Talmud, which is a commentary of what was going on in Jewish life, points out that probably 13 and 14 were sung after one of the cuts of the Passover. And then at the end of the service, they would sing 15 through 18. You got to read one of those psalms with me. I challenge you this week, get your Bibles and read Psalm 115 through 118. And you're going to see something amazing. Jesus has just told his disciples, I'm going to die. And at the end of it all, when they're walking out into the Mount of Olives to go to Gethsemane, the disciples are singing these psalms, and I want you to notice a theme that is running through them. Praise to God for the deliverance of His people, for the deliverance from death, from God's gracious hand. Jesus knows He's going to the cross. It's not just that he's going to die. He's going to die as the worst of criminals. Despised, rejected, Isaiah says in the servant songs. And he's still going out praising his father because he trusts him. And he knows his father will deliver him from the hands of death. Jesus has also been talking about the resurrection, but they're so caught up on the death, they can't hear that part. Jesus knew the cross wasn't the end of his story. On Friday, he knew that Sunday was coming. And he loved those he was dying to save. He freely gave himself a ransom for many. Again, in the book of Romans, no one's going to die for a righteous man, and Paul's probably talking about a self-righteous man. You know, that guy who stands and says, I'm better than you. Some might die for a good man, but God showed his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loved us. The Father loved us. They were not ready to fully embrace what Jesus was saying. But there's coming a time that the disciples will get it. They're still going out into the night depressed and sad and will run away in fear. But not that many days after, on the day of Pentecost, listen to Peter, the one who denied Jesus, three times, stands up in front of all Jerusalem And says these words, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man 
accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Aren't you amazed when Jesus calls Peter the rock? And we know how Peter was. Really excited and not so much. But on that day, folks, he was willing to face down the entire city of Jerusalem and the very enemies of Christ. You killed him. But God has declared he's Lord in Christ. He became the rock that day. Joyfully and powerfully affirming all that Christ had done. Because they had come to understand it was the love of God that put Jesus on that cross. It was the love of their Savior that caused Him to pay the ransom. And they now understand. And each time we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of its great cost. Now, if all we remember is the cost, this ordinance can only be a time of sorrow. If all we take away from this day is that Jesus died because I sinned, that's why we must absolutely remember why He paid the price. We have to remember it's about establishing a covenant. God wants a people. God wants a people He can shower His love upon. God wants a people who will gladly serve Him and one another. God wants us To walk as His family. We are loved by God Almighty, by the Son who became obedient to death, even the death on the cross, and by the Holy Spirit who has come into our lives to empower us to live the life God has called us to live. So let us please, please, every time you take it, let's not forget the promise that's inherent in this ordinance. We sometimes... Don't pay much attention to the last thing Jesus said at this moment. After he gives them the cup, Matthew records that Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. There's coming a time when we will never observe the Lord's Supper again. When God is going to bring all of this to a close, He's going to bring His family home. We will eat what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will be in glory, praising God forever and ever. And Jesus is telling them, but they can't quite hear it yet. It's not over. There's something even greater ahead of us. So every time we come and partaking of the supper, we are led to an amazing joy because of Christ's commitment to His people. 
because of what Jesus did for you, because of what He did for me, we are going to have joy throughout all eternity. Folks, imagine all of the saints from all of the ages gathered around the throne. And we're not going to be worried about who's what. We're not going to be Baptists or Presbyterians or Methodists or non-denominational. We'll be the body of Christ. And think of the best choir you have ever heard singing. And it will pale in comparison. As we sing before the throne, the gracious love of our God. Folks, this is a time of rejoicing. And we must not let the sadness cause us to forget the joy that comes because Jesus did pay the price. I can call God Father. And I really love it. When Paul says to the book, in the book of Romans, and the Spirit of God calls us, us to call him Abba, Father. I know you've heard this before somewhere, if not from me. That word Abba is a term of endearment. All of my life, the only time I've ever called my dad father throughout all my life, I was messing with him. I never called my dad father. Actually, for a week in Jessica's life, just because I am who I am, I made her call me Sir Father for a week. Sir Father. So I finally let her call me Daddy again. Abba can be said. You can say Daddy. Now I don't do that publicly because I don't want people to think I'm being disrespectful to God. But Daddy is not a disrespectful term for me. Daddy is a very important term of love and acceptance. We have a reason to rejoice. But we now, I've already alluded to it, and hopefully you've already begun the process. We're now coming to a time that we're going to follow the admonition of Paul to the Corinthians to examine ourselves. I believe this is an important part of the partaking of communion. When Paul said you ought to look at your hearts, now please understand again, this is not about being perfect. As I said, if it was perfect, none of us could do it. But where is your heart's intent right now? Is it your intent to remember what this is really about? Is it your intent to walk in a willingness to, to walk in unity in the body of Christ? Loving, encouraging one another to, full, to fully embrace the truth of the ordinance. Christ has died and was raised to bring us into covenant and that we are meant to observe this ordinance in a oneness of spirit and love. So right now, I'm not asking you to say, God, am I perfect? Am I ready? I'm asking you to be very honest with the Lord. Is it I, Lord? And if you can look and say, you know, I have not walked in love with my brothers and sisters? 
and I have been too much concerned about what I want in my life rather than what God wants, this is the time to say, Lord, I confess. I ask you to cleanse me. I'll ask you to start moving me in the direction I am to go. Help me, Lord, to say that I understand.